Cheers. Hey, how are we? Good. Uh, I'm Technology Andy. problems. We're, we're, we're remote, by the way, listeners. We're, uh, we're, we're, we're doing this. Um, we're pre-lockdown. Pre-lockdown. We're, we're, we're pre-empting a lockdown. So, Kana and I expected to be uh, catching up in a pub on Tuesday, Thursday this week. And... Um, Basically, we've got a situation here where there's a, uh, is it five or so people that all of a sudden mysteriously have got COVID and we're anticipating the government's going to do a lockdown in Queensland, which would mean that we couldn't go to the pub. And because we both have time on our hands on a Saturday evening, because, you know, clearly we have no life, um, we thought, well, why not get together and, and do a bit of a do a bit of a podcast now and get it out now rather than just, you know, Wait a bit. Yeah, and you guys get the added bonus because um, I'm, I'm semi-pissed already. How about you, Amby? I'm more than semi-pissed, Kana. I think I've fucking already polished off <laughs> a bottle of wine and just about to crack another one. Mate, I'm, I'm several pints of the wind. I've been at the, um, at the Four Hearts Brewery for half the day in, um, in the uh, city of Ipswich. That's uh, uh, the pump yard. Oh, uh, weren't we meant to go to that one time during like a summer or something? We were, we were, and we still need to because they do some really nice drinks. So I'm, I'm, I'm maybe uh, about three paddles, four, I think, no, three paddles and a pint plus several ciders into the breeze. So if I start, if I start slurring, dear listeners. Know that I've already started drinking in the in, in the breeze. I was actually thinking how 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 terrible it will be by the time we get to the um, um, the episode for our our Patreon friends. <laughs> that will be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, are you, I, are you I, continuing imbibing though? Summer's be cloudy, sweet semi sweet cider. Well, we're going to sip away at. But the latest bottle I've got is a Riparosso, which is a uh, an Italian um, red wine, which is very enjoyable. That sounds good. That sounds good. You know, and I know I'm drunk when I start thinking wine sounds good to drink. <laughs> Actually, we had a. Um, um, a friend of mine at work sent a photo of, of one of her team members who was going away for a, um, a fancy dress party tonight. And he's, com- not compared to us, he's young. He's like, you know, 23 or 22 or something. Yep. And he was going dressed as like a Benedictine monk or something like that, you know, with the whole brown brown mock- monk outfit and everything. Oh and yeah, I, yeah, and I kind of said to to her, I said, "So, what is he going to be drinking? Trappist beers all night?" And she went, "What's that?" I went, oh my goodness! <laughs> so it's hard to describe what Trappist beers were. And after that, she went, "No, no, no, he's a teetotal." I said, "Well, that, he needs to start like drinking. Then, if he's not going to drink that, he needs to drink mead or something. You know, depending on what he's doing as a, as a monk." So, yeah, you got to drink. Monks were known for their, you know, alcoholic brews. Some of our oldest brews in the world are from monks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Whether we're talking, you know, mead or ale or beers or, or red wine, you know, they've actually there's even well, what's that? Um, there's like an Italian, is an Italian aperitif or a French aperitif? It's like a 
a, a monk brood thing? Like it's a spirit? Oh, fuck if I know. Um, Benedictine. Isn't it Benedictine? Well, there is a Benedictine brand, isn't there? Yeah, like that's, yeah, yeah. That's I think it's actually done like, like monkish or whatever. I don't know. Anyway, we should probably kind of um, move on from just rambling on about alcohol and probably just maybe start introducing the, the introducing the show. Um, yes. So today we do have an interview uh, with uh, Brian Pravel and uh, Zachary Moore from uh, the Diplomacy Broadcast Network. And the, the point of today's conversation was just really to understand, look, you know, as we start counting down the days – because you know it's 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 well and truly less than eleven years to Olympics and uh, to diplomacy being played. You know what are their plans and what are they thinking around? How can the DBN start partnering with the uh, the American broadcast um, you know um, area for for um, for the Olympics NBC? So let's let's throw it over to them and let's find out what Brian and Zach have to say for themselves. All right, cheers. Brian and Zach, welcome to the Diplomacy Games podcast. Thank you, Ambi. Thank you. Happy to be here. So, um, Zach, this is third time on the show, isn't it? It must be, yeah. we, You and I went over our game from uh, about a year ago, actually, from a virtual tournament. Yep. And I don't remember what the other one was, to be honest. Uh, I think it was more back when you were setting up the um, the Minnesota Diplomacy Club and trying to get them going all online and everything like that. I think that was at that time, maybe. Maybe that must have been, yeah, a couple of years then. So you're up there with the um, you're, you're 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 the co most interviewed guest. Um, you're, you're you're combating there with with Captain Meme. So um, good job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to beat him on running time. <laughs> I don't think anyone could. <laughs> um, so, guys, we really wanted to kind of get you get you on today to talk around, um, obviously, DBN, um, and particularly around some of the some of the the, uh, the things that we're trying to actively encourage within the diplomacy community, and that's obviously making diplomacy an Olympic sport. Um, there's obviously at the moment a um, you know a, a broadcaster in each individual country. Uh, I think in the 2032 Olympics, it's already been organised for uh, NBC to uh, to be that that um, official uh, broadcaster. So I'm keen to understand if if we get to a stage where we've got diplomacy there as an Olympic sport. Um, where does DBN sit within all that? Are you guys going to be trying to, you know, subcontract out to NBC? Or is that is that the plan? Well, I definitely think we've been improved, learn lessons to uh, improve the quality. And I think it's really important if you're going to take a new sport that you find someone who is familiar with that sport and can bring some familiarity and expertise uh, and experience. So I am of the opinion that by 2032, we will be ready. Yeah, so, I couldn't agree more, Brian. I think all those all the technical issues that cut off the first part of your answer will be sorted out. And uh, the question is, will NBC be ready? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know how big their operations, you know, network television is dying. We might be ahead of them by by 2032, quite frankly. Actually, that's a really interesting point, isn't it? I mean, the way that um, everyone is consuming a lot of their um, their media nowadays is 
probably totally different. I'm, I'm kind of guessing they must have kind of bidded and, and you know paid for the rights, so to speak, probably, I don't know, 10 years ago or something crazy. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a really, really great point. I mean, where where you guys are currently going, I think, is, is definitely um, – obviously the leading edge around being able to broadcast games live and be able to give the commentary around that uh, and have people who have their expertise they can kind of bring to bear in those conversations. Um, so, I mean, what type of steps do you think you need to take between now and 2032 to be ready? Oh, and by the way, I'm going to have a beer because I'm thirsty. <laughs> uh, well, I think the number one thing that will help drive uh, audiences is to find a way to get more of the player perspective onto the stream. So for me, the beauty of diplomacy in, in all seriousness is that it is a human game and it is uh, not about where pieces are going across the board, uh, but it's about the relationships that you have both on the board and in a league or tournament setting uh, amongst the other players that are participating, you're creating this global community, which is very aligned with the mission of the Olympics and therefore something they should consider. Absolutely, Brian. And to piggyback off that in terms of aligning with the mission of the Olympics and kind of the nexus of diplomacy in the, in the Olympics both organizations care a lot about getting, you know, a diplomacy game, you're trying to get the most out of somebody without being forced to give a lot back in return. And that's why I think our big next step is just to get a ton of interns. We need interns at DBN doing a lot of the technical work, doing a lot of the grunt stuff that you and I are doing so that we can kind of sit up on the top and schmooze the Olympic committee when the bid time comes. I thought actually exactly the same thing. I, I, I planned enough with questions to ask a little bit about interns because um, we see things happening now over in Diplomacy Briefing where there's obviously a number of people who put up their hand to help out there. And um, I think having a, an internship program for DBN makes a lot of sense and kind of actually gives a lot more credibility also to, to the network. Um, what type of skills would you be looking for particularly to kind of do that quote-unquote grunt work which sounds so appealing? Um, I've been really pleased with, uh, I, th I think Kevin O'Kelly is a great model for us. Um, he has been someone who is eager to say yes. Whatever is asked, he just says yes and takes care of it, which has been incredibly helpful. Uh, and then he will occasionally bring ideas to the table that often go ignored. Once in a while, there'd be a really good one that comes in and we, we value that input. I couldn't agree more, Brian. That's perfect. Just a, an army of Kevin O'Kelly clones would be a perfect internship class. So what does someone need to do if they want to get involved? What's the best way for them to, to reach out through to yourselves at DBN around that? Comment on uh, the YouTube videos? What do you think? I mean, yeah, being active in the community, uh, showing up, uh, participating in chat, participating in Discord, showing that you've got a passion for the community, but also for the game. Um, I would say 
understanding the game, understanding uh, how to play competitively would be an asset, uh, but not necessarily a requirement. Uh, we've got a few people that have become active uh, in content creation that maybe were not as competitive in the hobby. Uh, and that brings a, a perspective as well. Yeah, I think that's perfect. I mean, in, in all seriousness, when when I'm looking for a volunteer to run something in in VDL or the the DBN network, I just look around at who's posting a lot on Discord, who's posting a lot on YouTube and playing in a lot of games because the people who are active are the people who want more, who, who want to be more involved. So they always make the best volunteers for things like this. Yeah, and just it's got to be fun. Like it, in 100% seriousness here, uh, if you are not having fun, uh, you're not going to enjoy participating with deep. Ooh, I think I lost a little, last little bit of that, Brian, but that, that should be right. Um, yeah, so when I kind of watch an actual live live stream of, of, of DBN and you, you've obviously got you know a tournament being covered or something along those lines, I'm interested in, in what's going on in the background, you know what I mean? Like, is there effectively I'll, I'll use air quotes but uh, you know a producer who's managing you know someone who's going next and then we're going to flip over to here or how does that all work or is are you guys basically having to do producing whilst at the same time also be the um you know the doing the live pieces to camera uh yeah so that's uh there's a lot of work that goes into getting an episode ready uh, the more that we've done it, the easier it gets. We've kind of settled into some routines, figured out what's worked and what hasn't. Uh, but there's still moments where stuff goes crazy. Uh, just as an example, uh, two months ago for League Night, uh, we were slightly delayed going on air. I think we started about two or three minutes late. And that was because the Dipcast software that we use, the Brandon Fogel programmed, to pull in all of the game results and all the scores and all of the players. Uh, and then that is what gets displayed on the screen for everyone to watch would not launch. <laughs> so we had the countdown going on screen and we were live troubleshooting, trying to get this thing on screen right before we went on air. We made it. Uh, but you've got that. I mean, it's a live show. <laughs> and once you press go, I mean, anything can happen. So the best way around that is to prepare. We always do, um, I call it um, running through the tops and bottoms of the show. So we've got a running order that we produce. Uh, we run through our transitions. And that's the hardest part. You'll see me struggle with that constantly. Brandon does a better job with it. Uh, but we practice our transitions, our orders. And then what has been extremely helpful is if we're fortunate enough, we don't always do, uh, but if we're fortunate enough to have enough folks participate, to have one person just kind of watch the running order, watch the clock, send messages, and then that producer role can kind of watch some of the games too, and will often notify the host and say, hey, this is something you may want to spend a little bit more time here. Hey, this is an area we could maybe cut a little time on. And when we don't have that producer role, uh, the host usually is trying to do double duty. Uh, so there's a lot going on. 
I can actually just, when you're describing that before, Brian, it sounded to me almost like literally the end of, of, of a turn coming to the deadline where you haven't yet finalised your orders or something like that because of a negotiation with somebody. And you're going, shit, I just need to get this into the box in time. And it's, it sounded pretty much the same type of thing of just trying to get the, the show up and running before the deadline counter was hit. It is better to have the orders in the box that are bad orders than to have no orders at all. <laughs> Um, so, like, I think, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Having a, a producer or somebody there would really kind of add a lot of value to that. So that's that's great that you've you've used that in the past. I guess when it comes to the production quality, and you touched on this with the software and everything, it is. I know you guys had a vision to create, you know, that that feel of a proper broadcast, you know, network uh, covering a professional sport, effectively. But it really, really, as, as someone who's, you know, watching the streams and, you know, watching like, you know, deadline news and things like that, it really, really comes through. Um, are you, how do you see that? How do you see yourself getting better at that over time when you're already doing such a great job? Where, where is there an opportunity to, you know, improve things into the future, do you think? Uh, I constantly am pushing the team i think i probably push more uh, than anyone else uh, for that specific idea um, everyone has strengths that they bring to the table um, and for me trying to push the production quality uh, is is an area that i spend a lot of time on we really have some opportunities in um, music in animation and in all seriousness i was kind of kidding before, uh, but finding some ways to involve the voice of the player. Uh, there's a massive gap in our coverage, and that's the biggest part of the game. And so we continue to experiment and try and find ways. Uh, we've done the sideline coverage, which is a lot of fun. Uh, but I think for us to get to that next level, we have to figure out the technology to get the player voice and integrate it without having a stream that takes, I mean, we're already doing five, six hour broadcasts regularly. Uh, if we start adding in voice for every game, you could be talking 10, 12, 16 hour broadcasts, which would be unwatchable. So trying to figure out how do we balance all of that is a problem we have not solved yet, uh, but that is the direction we're, we're pushing towards. And then bringing in stuff like animation to create more movement which will uh, allow us to as, as we're telling the story of what's unfolding in the game uh, that time while things are animating will give the analyst time to mentally process and to focus the viewer's attention on what is interesting so there's there's a lot that we're working through not there yet but we uh, try to improve one thing every show and uh, maybe by the time the Olympics roll around, we'll have it figured out. <laughs> I think Kane might have a question. Yeah, yeah. So the Olympics, when they do roll around, um, I'm just I'm, I'm thinking uh, competition-wise, how best to pitch um, to pitch the game of diplomacy? Uh, should it be um, teams? Or should it be an individual competition? Or do you think there's value in uh, pitching for both? Well, that's tough. I mean, you want to throw as many darts as you can. 
right? I think the individual competition has the most allure. That's the most common variation. But if we got to do teams to to kind of get in the door, then we got to do teams to get in the door. Uh, but I would say, why not both? You know, shoot for the moon. And if you miss, you might catch a star, I think is the saying. So we're going to we're going to walk into the room and demand both uh, team, individual gunboat, public press variants. We're going to demand everything. OK, and uh, a follow up uh, question, which which nations do you feel would stand the greatest chance for gold, silver and bronze? That is a fantastic question. Um, I think that you're going to need a country that has, um, I think there's going to be advantage for a country that has a a history of speaking many languages. Uh, Because if we're bringing in an international pool, the ability to uh, speak in someone's native language, I think would be a big bonus so for a reason like that i would probably pick like a european country of some sort um switzerland (laughs) switzerland that's incredible and they won't be they won't be biased they won't be distracted by the board because they're they don't exist on the board so they can keep their emotions in check during gameplay um it's it's hard to make a case against Australia for gold, to be honest, because you got two players in Gaffey and McNamara who, in in any competition, they're going to be the favorites for gold. How are they going to hack it in the multilingual environment? Like um, like Brian said, McNamara, he's a math professor, right? So I think math is the universal language, so I think he'll be fine. Plus they've got the home um, turf advantage, do you think? Um, absolutely. We all know that the uh, home field advantage is real. Um, that's why uh, we, we let Zach win Weaselmoot in Chicago. Uh, <laughs> we'd like to bring the, the Midwest flair and support. So, uh, yeah, I think that Australia would be a really solid pick. Uh, I, 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 I'm just not too sure about that. I, I think... As you were saying, you know, you're looking at a country that needs a history of um, diplomacy behind it so that they're bringing an A-team to it. Like England and uh, the US both have a long line of um, playing this game to a very high standard. Um, well, like, don't, don't sleep on Don't just count Canada. yourselves. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing about Canada as well. I think they're, they're a, a real dark horse that could come through with a, a substantial win. Um, the others that kind of spring to mind potentially, if you're looking at it, maybe you know France or someone like that, because of of the number of WDCs that have been held over there. So there's obviously a very different game style and play, which would be interesting to see um, being uh, being played at an Olympic level. I would have thought. And that brings us into the, you know, the game of diplomacy. Before the game of diplomacy is who's who's going to be involved in planning the rules and, and the scoring systems? Because, you know, if the French have their druthers, we're going to be playing C. Diplo over in uh, Brisbane. Um, but I, I don't know what, or, or is it Melbourne? I don't remember where these are being hosted. Brisbane, oh, just 
Zach. Where's the mic? <laughs> Fuck. I had it. I had it right, but I, I second guessed myself. <laughs> you just did that to get a rise. Um, so, actually, this this comes down to like a, a serious, serious question. You know what I mean? So we we do have these um, different federations around the world, whether it's, you know, North American, you know, Diplomacy Federation, there's obviously a bit of a, uh, a Asia-Pacific one that, that Goffey has been trying to get set up as well, and, and I'm assuming that something similar in, in Europe. What, what springs out to me is that um, if you look at any true authentic Olympic sport, there's always like an international federation that kind of activates and advocates on behalf of, of that uh, at a global level. Um, do you, I mean, I would expect that we actually need something along those lines if we were going to be, you know, a, uh, a I suppose, a, a, a potential sport in 2032. Um, there's there's obviously a, a bit of a precedent for how things get managed uh, at an international level with WDC and deciding who gets it next. What are your thoughts on a uh, an international diplomacy federation? Um, I think that that will happen. Uh, and and it, all, all kidding aside, uh, I believe that uh, the pandemic has ushered in an era of international play. Our technology has reached a point where we can support that. Uh, we've got uh, content creators like uh, yourselves and uh, DBN and uh, all the other many YouTube channels that are out there creating content, putting it out in a way where it's accessible to the world. And uh, you've got the likes of the virtual world diplomacy community on Discord. Uh, I think there's a lot of efforts in the community to bring people together. And uh, I think it's very likely, I would, I would guess within the next few years, uh, that there is some kind of international federation. Yeah, I think it comes down to, you know, we've over the last year and a half, two years, we've made huge strides, like you said, setting up those connections for the virtual game and the online game. Those institutions are basically exist by now with the VWDC being a, pr- a pretty international body and ev- all the websites, web diplomacy. I don't know how their structure works, but I believe they have an international mod team and so we kind of have that collaboration everywhere except in face-to-face and i think uh that can happen within the next couple of years it just it just kind of depends on we, we haven't been back to face-to-face yet so it depends on to what extent the organizers each individual organizer feels a necessity to have those conversations and create those committees I also think that what we've seen from the Nexus community uh, in organizing extended deadline games, variant games, creating some structure there and building community has been crucial to um, this groundswell of, of activity within diplomacy that we've been seeing. Uh, and I think that those uh, organizations could also help uh, bring that international federation together. Totally agree. Um, I think the other thing that and this is a sad and sorry thing to say: our community has probably a, a an excess of lawyers uh, who could bring together some of their legal experience uh, to be able to create, you know, those appropriate um, committees and institutions. I would have thought. 
Um, now, the, the one the one thing I think that we will struggle with, uh, and I don't know if we would have this resolved by 2035, would be a unified rule set for scoring with within with which. So uh, it will out. need to support multiple styles. Sorry, Brian, you dropped out for a second. Do you mind saying that again? Oh, sure. Um, so I think that um, <laughs> I think it's likely we will have an international federation uh, by the time the Olympics roll around, but I am not convinced we'll have agreement on which scoring systems to use. So I think it's going to be critical that whatever formats are developed within this international federation, that they support uh, a diversity of play styles. Otherwise, I don't think the community will coalesce. No, that's a really, really excellent point. From a, um, a broadcaster's perspective and creating, you know, good, 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 you know, I'll use to say television, um, what, what scoring system do you think lends itself best to a, an engaging experience as far as the viewer is concerned? Ooh, you're asking uh, Brian Pravel, a, a a Windy City Weasel who has uh, helped helped design the tribute scoring system, which is used in uh, Virtual Diplomacy League and their upcoming tournament, Weasel Moot. Now they're on their second version, Open Tribute. Uh, and I think that w- what Brian and I, I'm speaking for Brian here, I shouldn't, but w- what we both like about that system is that for viewing purposes, it gives you a non-solo objective that can make the game exciting down the stretch because, you know, realistically you can't have solos in the vast majority of your games. And so what, what makes it exciting? What gives you um, the kind of tension as the game runs to an end? Um, a system where you're trying to get a three-way draw doesn't necessarily get you on the edge of your seat as a viewer, even if it's tremendously fun as a player. Um, but I think systems that reward... topping the board coming in first place on the board and making big moves and being aggressive those are going to be the ones that make the best viewing experience in my opinion for me first of all i don't have i'm not one that has strong opinions on uh scoring systems um i think there are some that i don't enjoy um and some that i prefer to play but Ultimately, for me, <laughs> you, you get a lot of dots, <laughs> you get more dots than the other people, and you're probably going to do well in most systems. Uh, but I think you brought up a really good point in differentiating what is better for a viewing experience. And I think that's a very, very important point. For me, one of the beauties of diplomacy is when you realize you're not going to be able to solo it all becomes about secondary motivations and solving for what the secondary motivations are for the other players on the board uh, is such an important part of that. And so when I'm broadcasting, one of the things that I'm trying to do is get inside the head of those players that I'm talking about based on very limited information and try and understand what would that secondary motivation look like. So for me as a viewer and as an analyst, 
any scoring system that helps make those secondary motivations a little more clear uh, is going to be easier for the audience to understand. So that's where I would agree with uh, Zach. I grew up playing draw size scoring. I still enjoy draw size scoring. I enjoy Carnage. I, I enjoy a lot of them. But any system that rewards a top um, really does help communicate to the viewer who's in the lead. And you get that kind of racehorse uh, kind of perspective, watching that little graph grow over time, who's in the lead, who's overtaking who, and it can create some energy and excitement in the stream uh, that is not as apparent in other systems. Oh, I love that. Um so we've we've just re- obviously had the the uh, the Olympics in Tokyo, and I'm sure in America it's the same as as in Australia. There's always there's always a lot of excitement when your country kind of gets gold medals and so forth. But there's extra excitement when they get a gold medal, and it's also associated with getting like a world record or an Olympic record. Um, how do you think a world record system would operate in the Olympics uh, for diplomacy? Because it wouldn't just be board topping, would it? Because at some point in time, someone's going to always top the board and you can't always have the same person as, sorry, you can't always use that as the criteria for, you know, a world record. Would there be a timing mechanism to top the board or what, what, are, your, what are your thoughts? No, it's a good question, Andy. I think uh, world record, it's got to be something that you're not doing every day. Like you said, every every game's going to have a top, so some will be a shared top, but um I think quickest solo should be an enviable world record for the diplomacy. I think biggest solo. So, all right, you're sitting on 17. Sure, you can get the 18th, but can you get five at once to go get a 22 center solo? (laughs) I think that's the type of icing on the cake that I would want our American players to be looking for while they win their gold medals. I think if you're going to talk about records, uh, you also need to have some kind of idea about what the tournament structure or the event structure might look like. Um, For me, I am more interested in a player's performance uh, over multiple events uh, or or multiple games. So I would be looking for who has the, uh, like we've been doing a lot of statistics on DBN recently. So the idea of what is your top share? Like what percentage of the games are you ending up on top? What percentage of centers are you getting above your average player? So I think a high centers above average player, high top, uh, fastest top in 1904, like things like that. There's a lot that we can do now that we're capturing more data uh, that could naturally lend itself towards records. I'll just step, you know. Actually, one thing, Brian, earlier on, you talked a little bit around that whole experience of, of, you know, ideally you'd love to be able to get more into the shoes, I suppose, into the shoes and the experience of each of the individual players. I've always had in my mind that it would be fantastic if you essentially, you know, mic'd up all seven players so that you could actually, from a, um, you know, in, in the, the broadcast, you know, um, control room, hear what all those conversations are and obviously having someone there, your producers going, okay, this is really great and 
and then be able to unpack it later on when you know they follow through or the stab happens. Um, something that I expect you really couldn't do as a live stream because of A, just the logistics, but B, it probably would actually ruin the game because someone would then kind of end up texting somebody who's actually playing the game saying, oh, such and such a person's going to stab you. Although there may be a different different experience, um, is that the way you see things maybe going? If we were going to get to that stage by twenty thirty two, and maybe it's like a slightly delayed, you know, telecast or something like that. Yeah, we've we've definitely explored the idea of doing a delayed telecast. Like, and and then the question is how far delayed. But let's say we put it on a, a fifteen to thirty minute delay, something like that. Um, for me, live is important for DBN. Uh, I think that even even when we do our broadcasts uh, and we're not able to cover every game live, we try to cover some of them live because there is a, a uh, immediacy and an energy and an excitement that comes from a community gathering to watch a live event together. It creates a, a shared experience, which is great. Um, so I, I don't want to lose that. Uh, so one school of thought is for something like the Olympics, you take an esports model, and everyone goes up. The players go up on a stage, and you've got a judge or a GM or a ref, if you will, that is making sure that nobody's texting each other and things like that. So then you could have a truly live event uh, that the players. Hey, part of the rules yeah. is we're not doing that. So that's one way we could do it. Um, well, you just take away their the phones, other, yeah. Or right, right, or exactly. Yep. Yeah, you you create a cro a closed loop network and just put it all right there. It's kind of like you have your weight uh, in boxing or something. You know, you just make sure that you yeah. haven't got any extra weight on you, which happens to be you know a a device. That's <laughs> exactly exactly. exactly. Um, the the other thing though that's been interesting as we've started playing around with this idea of live coverage of negotiations. Uh, not every player is comfortable with that. And it changes your negotiations. I, I've even heard this from players when we're doing sideline reports. Um, people are going to behave differently when they know that they're being recorded or that what they're going to say is going to go out to the public, especially when our public is so small. Uh, we've got a, a very tight community um, maybe a couple thousand players that are playing regularly across multiple formats. And the words that you say, odds are going to go out to someone you're going to play with again. And that is going to change behavior. So one thing that Olympic sports have and a lot of other sports have is you've got this category of a professional player. And that professional player, it's much easier for media to record and criticize and make that person a public figure because that's their job or that's part of their identity. In this case, we're a bunch of hobbyists getting together, friends that are also competing with each other. And it's very easy for what's being said to be misrepresented or taken out of context so that's something we've been try we try very hard to be mindful of on DBN, uh, and I don't I never want to be in a place where we're making people uncomfortable. 
to play the game. We want this to be a fun experience first. So I think it would be important for an Olympic event for us to have a clear category of player that, hey, this is, an, I don't want to call it a pro, but in essence, a, a, a upper echelon category that along with playing in this category comes the fact that you get your stuff recorded. And that's just part of it. It's almost like you'd um, you'd start off with a, I don't know, if you, if you wanted to kind of give it a go for the very first time, you'd make it very, very clear that this particular tournament, this particular event is going to be recorded. And if you don't want to be recorded, then that's cool. That's part of the conditions of being part of that tournament. So you, you'd yes. almost create something brand new from the start rather than try to plug into an existing um, tournament, I would have thought, just because some players would, you know, if they're going to weasel mood or whatever, they... they may not want to be recorded and then they kind of feel that they've been disadvantaged the fact that they couldn't participate in that but if it was something that was unique uh, it probably sets the scene and then creates a bit of a um, an initial guide for how things could work into the future absolutely yeah clear clear, clear communication of the expectations up front gives us a lot more to work with that's what i love about the the dbni event the dbn invitational that we do in february is it's a DBN event. It's a media event, and we make the rules. Um, and so we were able to innovate a lot during that month of February with the coverage, with the sideline reporters, with the type of access we had because everybody knew right up front this is an event hosted by the YouTube channel, so they know that they're going to be more on camera than usual. Yeah. No, that's that's a really good way of, of doing it, of, of approaching it. Um, so, we did get as part of our, you know, obviously we've been talking about this idea of, of having, you know, diplomacy at the Olympics uh, for for a little while on the show. Um, Ed Sullivan did reach out to us and and pointed out the fact that uh, in the Olympics of the past there have been rather obscure events. And I know some of us probably have heard, you know, things like, you know, there's like been like a tug of war contests and things, but these are actual events that have purely got nothing to do with, you know, air quotes, sport at all. And he pointed out that, in fact, um, for, for a number of years, there were actually uh, Olympic gold medals handed out for events such as uh, architecture and town planning, um, which, <laughs> and literature and sculpture and everything. So um, it's not unusual to be looking at something very, very different. Um, I've noticed also on this, now, now, now that kind of it's official that Brisbane has that 2032 Olympics, um, there is now, like if you go to anyone just Googles 2032 you know, Olympics uh, and goes to the Wikipedia page, there is an actual section in there talking around the games that will be held, you know what I mean, as well as then a section around new sports that are potentially or could be introduced. Uh, and there is talk there around some games which, uh, uh, well, Australia's probably well positioned to, you know, do well gold medal-wise. Like, for example, there's the idea of having, like, uh, rugby league um, or, or netball. Um, some sports which probably anyone outside the Commonwealth countries would go, I have no idea what you're talking about. But I, I think this is the page that if anybody, and maybe this is something that DBN can kind of help with as well, um, if, if anybody is, is an actual Wikipedia contributor, um, that's the page there that we maybe we can start actually pushing that argument a little bit more and, and getting that that awareness that uh, you know diplomacy is, is a potential new sport uh, for 2032. 
So um, I, I don't know if you guys have any connections in the Wikipedia world at all. I do not, but I'm sure within this large community, uh, someone probably does. And I think the timing is right because there's a lot of chatter right now about adding in esports into the Olympics. And if you're going to add in a video game, why not one of the most classic board games of all time that represents the entire idea of a global community getting together and negotiating? And best, yeah, it's it's far more interesting and exciting than all those other, you know, electronic games. I think we'd all agree to that. But maybe maybe we're a subjective <laughs> audience. <laughs> Hundred percent. Yeah. If Call of if Call of Duty gets in, I I don't see why diplomacy wouldn't be right behind them, going through the door. Excellent. Um, Brian and Zach, I I haven't got any more questions. How about yourself, Kana? Anything from your end? Oh, this has been really fun. Thank you. So uh, thanks, Brian and Zach. As always, it's 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 a pleasure having you you're on the show. Um, being friends of, of of the of the podcast, it's fantastic. Um, and look, I wish you uh, ongoing, continuing good fortune and success with uh, the DBN. It's a wonderful initiative, and um, I'm pretty sure anyone who's actually listened to the podcast definitely knows about it already. So there's no point in me kind of trying to draw attention to it. But it's just it's great. Keep up the wonderful work. I appreciate well, thank it, gentlemen. You very much. Always, always a yeah. pleasure to chat. And uh, I do just want to say thank you to both of you. Um, I've been listening to your podcast since I think the second or third episode. Uh, so long time uh, supporter of what you do and very appreciative. I am very appreciative and I feel like it's a important type of media content that we need. And I'm glad you're here to do that. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. Um, we kind of were, were funny because when we started the show initially, there was, I think we literally started, I don't know, about a month or two after Diplomacy Cast stopped making any more podcasts and we didn't know at the time that they'd stopped. So it was it was almost like a transition, although um, for, for a long period of time there, anyone who listens to the back catalogue, it's, it's very uh, online focused because at the time we thought, well, there's, diplo- there's Diplomacy Cast, which is covering all the face-to-face stuff, and we weren't in the face-to-face community too much at the time and covered more of the online thing. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's changed a lot over the years, as, as many people have obviously now got more and more involved in um, at least the virtual world, um, which I'm sure once everything starts, um, you know, calming down and, and the face-to-face stuff ramps up again, I think you'll find that there'll be a, a true um, renaissance, so to speak, in, in the face-to-face community as well. So um, thanks, guys. We'll, we'll wrap that up now. And, um, yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's probably getting a little bit late over there now. So, um. Well, for, for me, I'm the old man. Uh, Zach, it's probably just get, – he's just getting started. <laughs> I, I woke <laughs> up two hours ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we're back. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> um, I, I had a blast. In that interview, I um, I love talking to those guys. Full stop. Anyway, but um, you know, getting getting some insight as to where they see the state of diplomacy at the moment, where things are going, and actually, I really enjoyed the discussion around, you know, uh, 
national teams. I thought that, that that was a fun bit of uh, that was a fun bit of banter. How about you, Amby? I thought exactly I... the same thing, Kaner. It was uh, not just you know the banter, but it was a case of look, look. I think I think when you and I had the conversation around, let, let's catch up with these guys and and you know, have, you know just just shoot the breeze and just talk some shit. There was actually some really really legitimate points that were raised here around. Look, theoretically, where should we? be taking the the game you know globally and i think um the impact of, of covid and how that's just changed things with the um uh the virtual um wdc and, and that whole virtual environment has just made things so much more connected than they ever were before i mean if you think back to when there was just like always you know face-to-face tournaments yeah you get some randoms flying in from overseas but we really are far more connected than ever, and I think also it, the um, the push towards the online environment actually brought a lot more new players into the game. So that brings new challenges. That also presents new opportunities for how we position the game going forward. Not just now, but you know, theoretically, into an Olympic environment. Um, yeah, I don't know. That that was that was my thoughts on it. I think there were some really great points that were raised around. You know, taking it to the next level, we've got all these, you know, various federations, whether the North American Diplomacy Federation, there's obviously efforts um, afoot to have like a uh, an Asia-Pacific one, there's obviously European efforts, but having a truly international diplomacy federation, I think, makes a lot, a lot of sense uh, for advocating for the game, regardless of whether we actually get it on the Olympics uh, environment or not. I think there's, there's a great opportunity there to kind of um, bring us all together globally. And on top of all that, there were some really great points raised by by Zach and Brian around, you know, how how can how can people who really enjoy uh, the game and enjoy DBN um, actually contribute and step up and you know uh, I'll, I'll say the word interning because it's something we don't really do here in Australia, but it seems to be quite big in in the states. Just ask Monica Lewinsky. Um, <laughs> but, Hopefully that doesn't kind of happen on the DB, and I really hope not. Um, but um, you know, there's that. Um, yeah, there's a real opportunity there for people to kind of get actively involved, and and I think that's that's great. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? What getting involved? Yeah, I mean, we're already yeah, no, too well, fucking involved. I'm talking about anyone else. Honestly, seriously, the more people who get involved, the better. Um, and uh, look, this is major spitballing, but. We've got so many online environments at the moment. We've got, you know, different platforms and whatnot, and then there's the face-to-face virtual stuff. And 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 being able to contribute from any perspective that you're kind of interacting with the game, you know, I think guys like the people at DBN, there's it's like a perfect hub really because they're they're willing and they're interested in every aspect of of the hobby, and you know whatever part of that 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 ecosphere that you have to inhabit it would be you know you can contribute to that space so yeah the the i think i think moving forward i think that there's a tremendous opportunity at the moment to really um like 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 you're saying like solidify or to 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 bring together all those disparate parts that have been, you know, existing in their own space for so long. Um, it, 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 it's uh, there's a tremendous opportunity now, you know, and moving forward to to, to bringing it together to be a uh, 
a more cohesive and um, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? More cohesive and uh, uh, um, yeah, you know what I'm trying to say, don't you? The, the cider's getting in the way. Kind the cider's of. getting in the way. Yeah, <laughs> but, but, I know, you know what you mean but, though, because like you, you think back to when we started doing the show, and I don't know if you realise, but it's like we, we are literally like about a week or so over. Uh, maybe two weeks over actually having the podcast now for five years. We've been running for five years. We kind of went through the five-year barrier without even fucking noticing. Jesus. And... Well, that's, um, yeah, yes, that is something, isn't it? It is something. Five it's Five years. Yeah, it's fucking scary. We still haven't got to 100, so we're pretty shit at that. But, <laughs> but when you think about it, though, when we started, and I think, I can't remember if we touched on this episode or another recent episode, um, you know, there wasn't much going on. You know, there was diplomacy casts which are just pretty much effectively wrapped up. And, you know, apart from a few random videos on YouTube, there was fuck all out there, you know, media-wise. And now, honestly, we are, let's be perfectly frank here, we are the laggards, you know, when you've got, like, diplomacy, fuck, I can't even speak properly, diplomacy briefing, you know, pumping it out every week, you know, the DBN just they're smashing it all over the park within YouTube. You've got, you know, Legendary Tactics. You've got all the work being done by Captain Meme with his, you know, Diplostrats. There's just so many awesome, awesome, awesome content creators out there which are actually just, to be perfectly honest, far better, you know, strategic-wise, tactic-wise than us and also far better at actually getting content out there that, you know... Um, I'm not saying that players and people who are interested in the game who want to contribute shouldn't contribute. You know, they can create their own environment. They can create their own media, their own media offering. But if they don't want to do that, if they don't want to do, you know, all that that shit about setting things up, which you know you probably didn't have much to do with at the time, you just kind of rocked up, you know, had a few drinks and just rambled on about diplomacy. But for most people, all the backhand tech and all that type of shit can be a bit of an annoying thing. And if you yeah. don't want to do that, you know, there are many, many people that you can just partner with. I mean, Diplomacy Briefing at the moment, you know, they're taking interns. We heard before in that, that interview with Brian and Zach, they're taking interns. Um, and I think that's a great thing. I mean, I think if people want to contribute and they want to get involved, why, you know, honestly, why reinvent the wheel? Just jump on board. If you, if you love the offering that's there, just step up and contribute. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, a good little conversation. It'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see how things go um, uh, with the Olympics and and with the game. Um, so we'll probably talk a little bit about that later when we have our our Patreon episode. I've got something to talk to you about that, but very very, very minor. Um, exciting. Okay. I don't think it's very exciting. It's just just as I said before, just having a bit of a chat. Hey, um, so we've um, we've we've talked about. Um, our conversation there with Brian and Zach. Um, how how's things going in your world of of diplomacy at the moment? Okay, uh, well, I'm in two games at the moment. Um, I, I I think I briefly touched on both of those last episode. Um, they're both gunboat, and they're both on the Europa Renovatio. No, Renovatio. Um, so. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, the map. 
Um, and one of them, you were looking at and going, oh, Kana, I think you've kind of overextended yourself. I think you're in a world of hurt coming forward. And I just want to share my screen with you. Sure, go for it. Uh, because... Uh, now which button to press? I'm, I'm, I'm going there. You clearly wouldn't make it on DBN. No, I clearly wouldn't. I'd be a shit intern. Um, <laughs> oh, shit. How do, I, how do I do this, Ambi? There's the more button. Oh, no, there's a share screen button. There we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. There we go. Can you see that? Yes, I can. All right. Now you see this country here sitting there along the coastline? Yes, I'm familiar with that one. Yep. And it's doing very, very well. I saw that. I was it was a lot of, smaller. I was a lot smaller. You were a I lot, lot smaller. Poor old, um, well, I better not say, but the one there. Mate. Yep. yep and yep. Um, I'd kind of overextended myself going into this part of the world. But, but now yeah. I am um, quite happily sitting. Um, not 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 in first place, but in a um, quite comfortable situation on the table so far, I might say. Yes, yes. That's looking quite impressive. Um, how did you get there? Um, well, one. Well, here, here's you've the obviously thing. got I, you've I obviously got an ally on one of your uh, borders. That's quite clear to me. And yes. you've probably got another, what seems to be another ally on another border. Um, no, actually, no? I don't. No, no. Oh, is that one a is strong that a... ally? And one stab. Yeah. That's um, a stab, and, and, and a couple of ongoing wars and a war to be. Ah, okay. Yeah. Um, quite frankly, this, I, I had a, I had a, I had a, one of the countries I was invading sort of did some weird moves which allowed me to quickly snap up a lot of territories and it led me to think that this particular player was actually trying to angle to Janissary himself, her, herself, yeah, to me, right? Right. So Can so you speak cursor around so, so you can just confirm which one you're talking about? I think I know which one you're talking about. Uh, this this particular player here. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the one I thought but just wanted to double check, yep. Yep. And so, so for for listeners who don't really know what that means, it's it's when you just go, okay, I've got no, I've got Buckley's chance to survive, so I'm going to throw caution to the wind, throw all of my units to the invading power, and hope that he will allow he or she will allow me to survive um, as a contributing minor power, right? And I thought that's what was happening. The sets of moves that occurred um, kind of led me to believe that that was uh, that, that that was so. Now, in the, in, and and so in the in, in the uh, I just I just I just want to bring this up here. Can you see still? Right, right happening here. Yeah. And just the turn prior, you know, I did this. I supported him into there. Yeah. And I was quite frankly thinking that he got the message that, or she, or you know, that that country got the message that I was understanding of that relationship. And then he went and tried to support someone who was obviously my enemy, 
against me. Mm. Right? And so I thought, no, 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 no. That that's uh, that that that's not on. So I'll um I'll I'll, I'll, I'll I will remove him from. I'll remove this this, this play from the game. He but um, yep. Damn. Yeah. So one stab, one weird ass gameplay on a power that you know just sort of just surprised me the kind of moves, and I've ended up in a quite a good position. That's how I ended up there. Probably a lot of luck, more than anything. So you, you're doing so. So listeners who can't actually obviously, hey, podcast, and we're talking about something that's visual that's also gunboat. So you have no idea whatsoever we're talking about. At the moment, I would say you're doing pretty damn good. It's 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 impressive. I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, the way you kind of outlined how you got from A to B through to C makes a lot a lot of sense. Um, how are you? How are you positioned, you know, supply centre-wise, you know, compared to the other folks in the game? You seem to be doing, whilst, whilst geographically, the way the board's configured, it's not, it's not you know, huge. You know, sorry, it doesn't look as good, but um, you seem to be reasonably well positioned. Yeah, 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 okay. So Kane has kind of highlighted a couple of different things there, and um, let's just say, folks, look... Kaner, as always, is making a late run to try to topple me in the rankings whilst being very, very, you know, um, <laughs> what do you call it? Humble about it. <laughs> you are very humble about it. You're yeah. right. Okay, so so that's that one one. That that that's a day. It's actually interesting looking page. at that visually. It doesn't look as as you look like you're doing. Looking at that, I thought you weren't quite as well ranked as you are. But, um, yeah, good job. And the other one is on two-day phases. Um, I'm a more central power yeah. in this particular map. Well, the other one, was that was the first one you showed me, was that one-day phases or what? Uh, that's one-day phases. So it's slightly ahead of the uh, – so, so, so it's, it's, it's a few seasons ahead of where the game which I started earlier happens to be at. And the game I started earlier that I happened to be at I'm still doing kind of well in it too, so. Okay. Um, and the other game, like, like I said, I'm more of a central power. Yep. Um, and that's I doing pretty good too still, isn't it? I'm doing quite well for that. Um, I'm in the unenvious position of actually for a central power, particularly on one of these larger maps, of actually not – of, of – Really, not having um, any. I, I've got I've got friends all around me, except for one direction. Put it that way, and mm -hmm. to be in that position, I think, as a central power, is is really a gift. So I'm I'm very lucky that you know, old mate yep. here. Yep. Uh, um, old mate old here. Mate old mate and old mate there. there. Yep. Right. They're and all also old mate over 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 further away. Yep. What sort of DMZing our borders and going opposite directions. So, um, again, I, I, I think this one has got a lot of legs to it. I'm definitely enjoying this particular one, even though it's at a slower pace. Um, I'm, I'm, I'd, I'd still have directions to to expand. Yep. Um, and 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 I'm sort of setting myself up to do so. 
but at the same time, I, I have clear um, areas where uh, my 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 neighbours are also DMZing and are expanding in opposite directions. So I, I feel quite comfortable with this particular one as as well. Mm. So the one thing I like is without giving too much away, like your um, I don't know your your your, your ten o'clock, so to speak. Some of those recent um, your movie cursor around, so you know what I, you so I know that you'd know what I'm talking about. Yep, um, around here. No, that's your three. Uh, oh, oh yeah, sorry, around here. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So I think that's a really good move just to play safe on the defensive. I can't actually see how you can use that effectively in a attacking mode against who you're, um, you're clearly currently involved in, but you don't want to be leaving that back door open too much because that other player up there is quite strong. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I remember actually last time we caught up, you were in a similar position where you had no one attacking you and you're going like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? So you were an incredibly... Uh, look, I, I wish I was in... I wish I was you in your games at the moment, Kana, where you've got this advantageous position. How did, you, how did you score it? Is it just by fluke or you've been sending love or what did you do to kind of get to that point? Um, okay, yeah, no. Um, I, I, think, I think I'm sitting next to some good players. I think that's what... Um, um, yeah, that, that, that's what I believe's happened. Um, this particular player on one of my... Um, one of my neighbours um, has systematically dismantled uh, one of his neighbours, right? Mm -hmm. But in doing so, that particular uh, power, you know, almost retreated into my area um, yep. as, as part of that process. So I had I had a couple of units sitting on his border just to protect any kind of retreats into my space, but also at the same time supporting him um in in the in that battle so that so that was that was one space another space i was just lucky to have someone sending me love from there and another one uh i i, I took the first step in demilitarizing it and just went on a, okay well you know there's only so much support holes we can do before either we need to start committing units elsewhere on the map or we're just going to get crushed by our neighbors so um you know i've sent my love to you you've sent my love your love to me i don't need to keep on reiterating that i'm supporting you let's actually demilitarize that and trust that we're both um we're both signaling that we want to be friends in this map and demilitarize our um mutual border um, and of course, you know, it, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a Lepanto or it's like a, a key Lepanto, or it's like, um, any of those, those fun ones where you, um, you really have to have balls of steel to, to, to take the first step, but if it pays off, it pays off quite well. So, um, you know, and obviously I've been in so many games where it hasn't paid off, but in, in, in this situation it seems to be paying off. So. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy where things are at. I'm pleased. I'm pleased to hear. Um, so 
we'll, we'll talk about this later on. I think in the in the um, in the Patreon episode, but I think you're you're doing well. I think you're doing well. I'll I'll, I'll kind of keep my sage advice to you a little bit later, so that because um, theoretically this. If I, if I get my shit together, this episode actually may come out tomorrow, which is like Sunday, the 12th of September, our time, um, 9-11 in, in the US and so forth. Oh, yes, yeah. Um, so, anyway, really, really pleased to see that for you, Kane. You're doing, you're doing great. You're kicking goals. Yeah, well, I might I might knock you off your perch yet, Amby. Oh, look, I, I thoroughly suspect it. You know why? Oh yeah, why? Because <laughs> because I, <laughs> I I see deed in one game. Oh, I saw this happen. Tell me about it. How did this occur? Uh, I honestly I don't know. I think I thought I I mean I've actually got really really bad at my orders in virtual games currently. Where um, this was a what was the game? It was a um, it was it was a North American one. It was, yes. it was the divided oh, states. Oh, was too. Uh, and you were doing so well. You were excited about this one. You're telling me that there was. No, I wasn't excited about. It. I kind of actually felt that I was on a slippery slope because my main ally at the time was getting shafted, and I saw. Look, I, it was going to be challenging. I think to stay in that that mid run pack as you kind of head towards the end game. Well, mm-hmm. mid to end game, um, but yes, I, I fucked up there, and I don't know what it is, but I've been—I really, really hate saying this, but I've been fucking up a few times in games. So, even recently, in one of my most recent games, I'll—I'll I'll share this one with you as well. So, I'll, I'll share my screen with you. Okay. Um, does this work? Wait a sec. Fuck. How do I do that? I thought I'd just share my screen. Start sharing. Got to click the start sharing button, Kana. Um, can you see that screen now? Um, yes, yes, I can. So in this game here, I signed up for this game, and this is one thing I don't like doing. I've kind of got to a stage because I know I'm occasionally poor in my communications and my um, setting my orders. I tend to go for two day game phases, and I didn't actually check. This is a one day game phase. Yep. And I may have had a look at maybe a drink or two. And, um, <laughs> oh, yeah, anyway. And I thought I had put in a set of orders. I'll go back to the um, the map history. That is interesting. I'll come back to something very, very soon. So, okay, so you can see the so spring orders. You can see that there. I kind of move. This is me here, okay? Oh, yep, yep. I move there, I move there, I move there. I've been talking to this person, this person, this person, this per- Actually, I talked to everyone on the board. And everyone's going, yeah, 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 it's all good. Um, I know that this player here is a reasonably high-ranked player because they disclose that this player seems to be, they think they're high-ranked. These seem to be all newbies. Anyway, um. This sorry, the game. Where do you playing, stand on it? Like, like disclosing. Oh, it's an anonymous game. It's an anonymous right? game, but they kind of, you know, just made out that they were, you know, they know their shit. Okay. Okay. Um. Anyway, so one thing I like. This is the um a variant which is called Spice Islands. So it's set in 
maritime and mainland Southeast Asia. And so, it's created by David E. Cohen. Oh, is it? Oh, wow. Good mm-hmm. on you, David. Well done. That was a really poor, you know, cheers, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, 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 chunk clonk. <laughs> chunk clonk, yeah, anyway. So, um, um, anyway, so I put in my orders for spring. So, yeah, there's spring, you can see that. And then in the fall, I fucked up and didn't put in orders. Oh, <laughs> and no. there was, like, supply centres for the taking or at least bouncing, you know what I mean? Oh, no, because everyone's there looking at you going, uh, righto. Amby's on the piss again, so. This um, player's on the piss again. Let's, uh, okay, so I take it things have gone down from there. No, since, yeah, absolutely correct. So since then, like, I've, I've managed to grab one supply centre in, oh, okay, that's, that's, that's full, that's okay, but um, it's. Can you hold it is the question. Absolutely, absolutely. Because player over here in the um, actually, this isn't anonymous. I can talk about it. So the player over here in the um, in the east is coming at me. The player in the west is coming at me. The player in my north is coming at me. Um, I'm playing as what's the country, Kana? You are playing as Majapahit, which is kind of like modern day island of Java. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not anonymous. So that's how you know that Tondo, the player in the north, is a is, is, is quite highly ranked. Actually, that's right because I think I may have actually checked it. Maybe maybe they didn't tell me. Maybe I told them. <laughs> but but he's actually not the highest. He's not their highest ranked in the in the, in the on the game. Actually, oh. who's the highest? Brunei happens to be the highest ranked player. Ah, there you go. Yeah. So that would be Mickey ninety nine. Yep. Or Mikey ninety nine. And the player in the north was very far far north was who? Goldfinger, O three O three. Oh fucking Goldie. <laughs> He's been around for years. I remember. I think we've interviewed him once, haven't we? In fact I think he was um I think what what wasn't he actively involved in um uh, uh, what, what would you call it? Um, 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 the one before V Dip, um, Ollie Dip. Well, that's what I'm saying. I reckon he's. We've at least interviewed him once on the show, haven't we? I, I think we have. Maybe in the old days. Like, like going back five years. I've got to grab a beer. Oh, here we go. There right. Yeah, haven't we? We have, haven't we? Interviewed Goldfinger. I'll go back and check the old log. I'll kind of check I'll search in, in the gold. Certainly, if we haven't, we we, we really ought to because this episode gold, gold has been around for a long while. Episode five, Kana. Back in October so, twenty sixteen, we did. So we're up to episode ninety six today. So um, eighty nine episodes ago. By the way, we did a bit of a shout-out last episode saying, hey, we're getting close to a 100th episode. Uh, let us know what you think. Yeah. Guess what we got back? What? Fuck all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we love you guys. We do. We do. 
We do love you guys. Yep. We do love. Honestly, we do love you, and we love <laughs> the fact that you actually, um, you know, bother up, bother fuck, bother to show up and listen to the show. But um, yeah, a little bit of um, a little bit of feedback on on the hundredth episode would be uh, awesome. So anyway, so uh, Goldie and Mikey are um, well positioned here. Uh, I think um, the country that is like you think as being, you know, North Vietnam, so to speak, kind of also CD'd MNMR'd or did whatever. And, and um, yeah, nothing happened. I think they got switched over by someone else. That red player who's playing as, you know, Thailand, Cambodia, uh, Laos, um, they're doing very, very nicely at the moment. So I think they're the power to watch. What do you think of this map in general, Ambi? Like, there's, there's it's very um, honestly before I even before I even NMR'd, it was challenging. Then I was thinking, look, okay, how do I? I had um, uh, players all around me who were being quite assertive with what they wanted, and I had to start thinking about, okay, am I going to piss them off and like block them? Or am I going to go with the flow? And as it was, I just totally wimped out and just didn't put in orders. Um, but I found the South quite challenging. So from a balance point of view, there's a lot of opportunity for conflict, which is probably what you want in a game, I would have thought. Mm. So there's seven players to it. Um, I would sort of go out on a limb and... Well, actually, every player... Okay, so so most players start with just fleets. Um, you've got one player who starts with. No, they all start with three three units. You've got North Vietnam, which starts with one fleet and two armies, and Cambodia sort of starts with one fleet and two armies as well, and that's probably for the peninsula kind of space. Um, and and as an archipelago goes, there's a lot. As you understand, there's lots of islands around that space. So um, that's interesting as well. Um, it's got eight pure land territories on the map. That that that's territories which have no access to the ocean. It's got forty eight coastal provinces and twenty four sea provinces. I think it's probably one of the more sea heavy coastal heavy variants that I've really come across just just looking at it um, I, I would imagine that that interplay um, between fleet and army and when to build what because it hasn't got a transform uh, does it have a transform function in no it doesn't no so it hasn't got a transform function so so really Deciding what you build would be um, well, pretty vital, especially for those, um, those 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 northern Southeast Asian territories would would really play a, a role. And then, you know, could you win the map without actually building armies as well? So it it, it actually plays. It's, it's really quite interesting looking at it, and then looking at where fleets can move to on the first turn. It looks to me just sort of at a quick glance that there's no real supply centers that's an that's a guaranteed build am i wrong with that assumption um i know from when i started 
Um, if I didn't fuck up, I could have got one build straight away, which was I could have moved to SMP at the southern end of the island of Borneo. I could have got that uncontested. Um, but apart from that... Yeah, but that's not guaranteed. See, it T-U-M wasn't. It was okay. If 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 okay. If I had moved, if I had moved into the Java Sea and then into SMP in, and this, this is normal diplomacy speak in full nine hundred and one, I would have got it. There was no ability for any other to get it because I'd also moved into MKS to block um, any move from the east and uh, whoever's in the northern end of Borneo. You know, around uh, Brunei, couldn't get down there at the time. Oh yeah, so you could have supported yourself into SMP. I could have, yes, yes, without any, yeah. without a shadow of doubt. Yep. Okay, I guess you could have supported yourself into PIM as well without. No, but I could have if I decided to pick a fight. I could have done that too. Correct. Hmm. Actually, the more I look at it, the more complex this map looks. You know, you look at it and you think, oh, all this open sea territory. but It it's, looks simple, uh, you're right, but it's not. It's not. It's not. There's a lot going on with all these uh, fleets floating about. Yes. It'll be interesting to see how we go on this. Um, it may be maybe because I'm a bit of a, at the moment, uh, both myself and what would be like, you know, modern-day North Vietnam, if I can call it that. Uh, or 1960s, 70s North Vietnam. Um, maybe because I'm no real threat, that may help me, but I think it's a while off yet before I can actually you know, get any dividends on that one. I think you should go for a Janissary strategy. Find one of those players and just mercenary out. Oh, yeah, that could work. Go for the survive. You've missed a critical. You missed a critical turn. Do what you can. <laughs> so, um, uh, my other game is the cloak and dagger game, the screaming jugular blood axe gusher, which is oh, yeah. uh, still using your um, uh, your crusader game. Mm-hmm. And where's it, where's it going? The, um, the, the the Mongolian Empire variant. Yes. So this one yeah. is uh, an anonymous one, so I can't talk about too much. But as we've discussed, because you're not in the game, I'm this player here. Yes. And I've been for quite a while dealing with a lot of defensive activity, which has paid okay, you know what I mean? We've got a player here who I'm allied with who is doing very nicely. There's actually a number of players at the moment that are all allied together. So there's this grouping here. So, sorry, that's... Oh, could you do that again? That's... Sure, I'll go, I'll go this way. So there's this grouping here. Oh, yes. Yep. Okay. And then there's also this grouping here. Mm, oh, so there's a bit <laughs> of overlap from what you can see. Yes. So... Um, I guess at the moment I'm 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 just trying to work through what that means. Currently, I've got thoughts on how to you know defend. Yeah. But um, anyway, we'll see how it all goes. So there'll be you know a bit of defence here and maybe a little bit of attack down there. Ooh. Well, you know the best defence is an offence sometimes. Yes, I know, I know, I know, I know. 
So, um, we'll, we'll, um, <laughs> I've been I've been biding my time on this one because I've been waiting for the waiting for the cavalry to kind of arrive because I've I've been pretty much just fighting my own my own lonesome presently. But um, I'd like if this game kind of got to a point where I was able to be part of a draw because these are generally with the cloak and dagger games that we've talked about before. They're um, they're great players. They're they're um, dare I say well positioned players when it comes to rankings. So um, if you kind of get part of the draw, then you're probably gonna make up for your fuck ups where you're NMR and CD and things like that. Yep. Hey, I've did you get my um, my text before? Uh, 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 my phone's at actually not on me. Hang on. Okay. Gonna pause it. Uh, we're gonna do that. Two seconds, two seconds. No worries. Um, I did pause this over, right? Uh, okay. Uh, da, da, da. Okay, so this... This is uh, your... Um, this is a game somewhere else. This is a... Um, this is a primacy game. Primacy game. Oh, by the way, apologies in the background if you hear any noise. It's a um, everyone's kind of starting to fill up the dishwasher. Um, so this game is a game that's been going on for ages, and I think we've talked about this before. Where I think I've just gone fuck it. I'll just say who I am. I'm England, and um, I've been allied for a long while now with France, um, Turkey, and Russia have been allied for a long while. We've now got to a stage where Austria, who was at one stage made his, his only supply centre was in Portugal, has now been eliminated. And I've got both um, uh, Turkey and Russia saying to me, go on, stab France, just get over and done with. We'll have a three-way tie. But the same, <laughs> at the same while, I'm very, very conscious that all of my efforts to date to kind of come up with an amicable solution to theoretically stab France and kill France, but to do so in such a way that there was a, a true balance of power that would not mean me then getting destroyed afterwards have come to naught. So I've got to a stage now where I'm trying to architect a solution which is far more tactical in nature, which I'm not really... I mean, I'm okay at, but I'm not the best at, to actually establish a really, really perfect stalemate line to actually force the four-way draw because that's now my goal. It's kind of got to a point where, um, and this is going to sound weird, I don't know whether um, Turkey is a, is a newer player and doesn't really understand the basics because he's got like, okay, I'll, I'll explain for the audience. He's got a fleet in Western Mediterranean, a fleet in Tyrian Sea, a fleet in Tunis, a fleet in Ionian, a fleet in Greece, a fleet in... Is there a fleet in actually uh, Aegean? I can't see because of the box around it. Anyway, fleet in Trieste. Anyway, he's got so many fucking fleets. He's going, you can't win. You know what I mean? If you want, I'll just blow through you. And I'm semi-confident that I can create through the traditional stalemate line of the northeast through the southwest a position where he can't break out of the Mediterranean. Mm. 
Hmm. Interesting. So you're you're in a okay. So you're in a non-traditional stalemate line position, essentially. Well, uh, okay. So the north is locked up. So Saint P at the moment is impregnable. You know what I mean. So I've got a an army in Saint P and a fleet in Barents, and there's no way he can break through. Um, I've got an army in Kiel and a fleet in Baltic whilst Russia's got an army in Berlin and Munich, and there's no way he can break through. There are allied armies, so there's a French army in Ruhr, I've got a English army in Burgundy, there's no way they can break through there. Um, I've got, as I said before, that army in Burgundy and also a fleet in the Gulf of Lyon, whilst um, Russia has an army in Marseille and Turkey has an a army in Piedmont. Um, France has an army in Spain and I have a fleet in Portugal and a fleet in Mediterranean and a fleet in English Channel. I think it's not too far off being able to establish a stalemate, stalemate line that runs, as I said, southwest to northeast. Yeah. You keep so, sending me these links. Yeah. So the Diplomatic Pouch has got some really good articles around stalemate positions mm -hmm. essentially and um i've just flicked you a couple of links so what you do is you click on so so there's essentially different groupings of different types of stalemate positions okay so so and, that second link you gave me through the northern progressive position seven is effectively where we're at yeah exactly so yeah so you're at the progressive northern stalemate position and so you're looking at seven maybe eight, but could fall back to six and still hold the stalemate line. Mm -hmm. Am I correct in my reading of that? I don't know. I'm too pissed to understand what you're saying. Say again. <laughs> okay, so I've sent you that link. Uh, yes. You know, the progressive northern stalemate position. And you're currently... From what I'm looking at, your map with your fleet and uh, the Gulf of Leon and yep, yep, yep. So got I've, so so the al the alliance at the moment is uh, supply centres in Saint P, Sweden, Norway, Denmark, Kiel, Holland, Belgium, London, Edinburgh, Liverpool, Paris, Brest, Spain, Portugal, but with units in Ruhr and units in. Burgundy, and by the time this recording goes out, a unit in Gascony as well. Yep. Oh, and on top of that, you know, a fleet in Baltic. Yep. So you could essentially do a version of position seven, right, where you could pretty much hold the line down through... Um, essentially Denmark, Kiel, Ruhr, Burgundy, um, skipping Marseille potentially, although you could try to hold on to that, um, hold Spain, um, but you'd need to have a fleet in, um, you know, the Mid-Atlantic Ocean to be able, and, and something supporting the Mid-Atlantic Ocean to essentially, you know, hold hold the line. Yeah, and that, that that would force the stalemate, really. 
Yeah, at, at the moment, I think there's no way we can pick up Munich. There's just too much uh, Russian units around central Germany. I think there's probably a 50-50 chance of getting Marseille. Um, but beyond that, we should be able to bottle things up. Um, actually, Wessick, when when's this the... Just, just give me a sec, Karen. I just want to double-check when the turn clock's over. You need to have an army in Gascony, though, mate. That's the that's that's the key. Yeah, so we're going to double-check the timing. I've got a feeling that um, this game will clock over. A... Yes, okay. So by the time this recording comes out, I'll make sure the recording comes out after the turn occurs, so believe me. Um, so I've talked to France about actually moving... Spain to Gascony supported by Paris with yeah. MAO moving to Spain South Coast supported by Portugal, English Channel moving to MAO. And at the same time, he's planning then that'll force him to actually lose a supply centre. He'll blow up his uh, rogue but useless army in Albania. Which oh, allow... shit, an army in Albania. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but yeah. he can't do fuck all with it. He's been trying for ages yeah. with that anything. So he wants to, he wants that to be then blown up so he can rebuild. I'll be able to rebuild. And from there, we should be able to lock up any breaking through. Like, even if Turkey moves to NAF and stays in Western Med, hopefully we should be able to block anyone coming into MAO and be able to theoretically take out... Golf of Leon as well. Yeah, so you got to remember your Golf of Leon, according to the stalemate position, is kind of it, it's just a it's just a unit to annoy the shit out of the Turkish player in this map. Yep. It, you know, it hasn't got any strategic stalemate position that it can use. That no. you can use it. For. The only thing I was trying to do was I was suggesting maybe to um, to France about convoying Spain into Tuscany, but he didn't feel that was worth worthwhile doing. Uh, Tuscany's going to get covered. I bet you a million bucks. Yeah, probably. Actually, when you think of that, look. Oh, mm, I don't know. Well, sorry. Even if he got to Tuscany, he could then cover Rome, and it makes it a bit pointless. Yeah. Yeah. Now you sent me something else as well. What's that? Okay, so this is another game that I'm playing on Primacy. It's a brand new map that I've never kind of seen anywhere else before. Tebe. No, that, that's that's my country name. Oh. So it's a um, it's a variant called Ferranor. The game I'm in is called Legends of Ferranor. Um and it's a good map, it's a fun map, but I'll tell you there's only one little problem. And this is one little problem I think that Primacy currently has and probably was a problem for most of these diplomacy um, applications and mm. that's the fact that and we talked about this before when we talked to the guys from um, from uh, Primacy when you've got new players coming in they sometimes aren't as shall we say solid as um, normal players so um, I'm pretty much in a situation in this very unusual map which looks almost like you know something you'd expect out of Middle Earth or something like that very, very different. It's a. How would you describe it, Kana? It looks. Well, it's a well, it's a fantasy map. 
And you've got yeah. rivers and mountains and, you know, it's, it's kind of nice to look at as a map goes. Visually nice, I agree. Kind of visually kind of reminds me of maybe the Anatolian Peninsula meets the Balkans slash, you know, the Baltic Sea kind of thing. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, that's just visually where my head's at. So uh, my problem is at the moment, the most recent term, no players other than myself put in. So I'm going to win this game, but it's it's going to be a bit of a um, it's a terrible loss. Sorry, terrible win because you know you're winning because no one else turned up. Um, so I think in the first couple of turns, two players didn't bother putting in orders, and then subsequently two other players didn't later on about a game year one or two didn't put in orders, and then the third year another player didn't put in orders, and it's like, what's the fucking point of playing? Um, and there were some issues with the map, so I'm not sure if you can kind of see when you actually go into that that map link that I sent through. See, kind of literally in the middle of the map, there's like a a supply center that I have on on the coast that borders a like an inland lake. Um. Oh yeah. Uh. uh starts with an A. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So um, I had a fleet that was in that area that's currently blue on that map. That's kind mm. of like a little harbour or whatever. And there's like, there's like a river that flows all the way from the sea up to that lake. Yeah. Which, based on the way things look visually, you think, well, that should be navigable. And yeah, there's, so in fact, good. no link fleet-wise, between the coast and that lake, which doesn't make any sense visually. And when the guys from Primacy checked with the map creator, the map creator said, oh, no, 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 there's no link there. But if you kind of look at the the territory immediately to the west of where that harbour is called MDC, there was actually no link between the two of them for fleets either which makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. They're physically located. There's, even if you kind of put it, like, you could just keep moving down the coast through the next territory. So um, it just goes to show, I think at the moment, whilst, and you can see looking at this map, it's just like a incredibly visually impressive map and it's great to see at last new variants coming to the game. Um, If you've got players who are not committed and you've got map creators who haven't kind of covered things off it's a little bit of a disjointed experience yeah a bit of a downer yeah 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 Yeah, i, I hear what you're saying very diplomatic. interesting to see this one with uh committed players though like it's a nice nice looking map and that's and what i, I hoped i think the, uh, the rivers aren't navigable i mean it would make sense given that they've got a prominent visual feel to it absolutely i totally agree I mean, if if they weren't okay, so if they're not navigable, don't even show them visually. It doesn't make any sense, and they're so wide that you think, oh yeah, you should be able to sail a few fleets up there, no problems at all. Or at the very least, make a disclaimer: rivers are not navigable. Yeah, but this is this is another issue within primacy. There's no like. Um, you know, within VDIP or WebDIP or anything like that, they've kind of got a bit of an overview around the variants and what's what's the rules. Yep. They don't do that here. 
just to kind of streamline the processes is cut out. So it's almost like assumed that normal standard diplomacy rules apply, which is cool. But if normal standard diplomacy rules apply, then normal standard diplomacy rules apply. Those rivers should theoretically be navigable because they're no different to, say, putting a fleet from uh, Heligoland bite through Kiel through to the Baltic or, you know, Aegean to Con through to Black Sea. Yeah, no, I hear the argument. I hear the argument. Anyway, it can be an argumentative guy at times. Sorry about that. Um, what do you reckon, Kenny? You reckon we should just make a put a little bow on this one, wrap it up, and do a bit of a Patreon thing? Sounds like a plan, man. Awesome. Okay. Well, well no. Before we go, I just oh, want to do that. the um, I want to do the rundown on how the uh, da 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 the 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 the, the, the classic chaos games travelling. <gasps> yes, you do need to because I think it was one of the players. I can't remember which player it was. I was talking to recently. Said uh, in that that Spice Islands game, they said, "Oh yeah, I'm in that uh, chaos game that you you guys are talking about in the podcast." So. Yeah, take us away. Wait a sec. Oh, how do I stop sharing? I've got to go stop sharing. got to sharing. stop sharing so I can share mine. Yeah, okay. All right, here we go. Share screen. Did I stop sharing? Yeah. Bring that up. Yep. Can you see? Uh, just give me two seconds. Uh, why isn't that going big? Wait a sec. I'm trying to make it bigger, but it's not working. Okay, so... Okay, I can see it now. You got it? Yeah, I got it. You know, actually, you know, I was was just thinking this would be a really good one to make a, um, like a, like a, like a, like a a YouTube video similar to the, uh, the, the one that I did for the world diplomacy one, uh, some, some years ago, but just to sort of see how it progresses because... Honestly, each time I jump in uh, after every, you know, I, I, I honestly only look at it after a week or two and you know, I think, oh, my God, it's, it's, it's changed so much. Players who I thought were, you know, at the apex of sort of actually that's the nadir and there's, there's ups and downs on it. Anyway, so um, who has been eliminated as of um, September the 11th? 2021. So, Warsaw, Vienna, Tunis, Trieste, Sevastopol, Serbia, Romania, Rome, Norway, Naples, Munich, London, Holland, Greece, Edinburgh, Denmark, Bulgaria, Budapest, Brest, Belgium, and Ankara, and Berlin have all been eliminated from the match. Players who are on one supply centre are Kiel and Sweden. Two supply centres are Venice, Paris, Constantinople. Three supply centres, Portugal, Moscow, Marseille and Liverpool. On four is St. Petersburg. On five, equal first are Smyrna and Spain. So I'm just going to pull up the, uh, the, the map history because it wasn't so very long ago that St. Petersburg looked like he was going like St. Petersburg was going to be the preeminent player on the map. It looked like he was in That's a position. I thought too. Look, I mean, look at this here. So he's, he's in, in um, autumn 1907. He kicking the, butts. Uh, he's, he's kicking butt and chewing bubble gum, you know. Um, 
like Sweden, you know, going back to you know, 190, uh, autumn 1906, 1906, looked like he was go- like Sweden was going to be in a in a position of you know take things over. Not to mention where uh, Venice happened to be. You know, now cruise forward a bit, gone, completely gone, disappeared. So um, this game's got a lot of uh, play left. Um, and I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm quite excited as to, to where this is going to go into the future. There's like so many tops and sorry, tip. Oh fuck, too many drinks. The game's just very, very fluid, wouldn't you say? I would say at this stage, it's still very fluid. It's still anyone's game. It looks like it's um, still, um, you know, the alliances are still shifting. There's players who are still being removed from the match whilst uh, other players are still growing and some are still shrinking. So um, at this stage, it's still anyone's game as to, as to where where things are going to end up. So I'm trying and to remember, love, yeah. in a chaos game, it is build anywhere, isn't it? So like even if you're kind of kicked out of your home territory, you can continue to build wherever you capture if it's, if it's a, a free supply centre. Is that right? Correct, yeah. It's it's build anywhere that you, you have. I just, I just want to point out that so, 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 this 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 particular player, um, Spain. This this fleet has managed to go from Marseille through to Spain, through to Mid Atlantic Ocean, slipped into the English Channel, slipped from the English Channel into the North Sea, illegal and bite, <laughs> right? Got through to Kiel, slipped through to the Baltic Sea, and is now currently. This kind of reminds me. I just recently was listening to one of the uh, the Brotherboard podcasts where he was talking about stalemate lines and how to beat the stalemate line. And part of it was around the idea of trying, we if you can afford it early on, to try to get this rogue unit behind the stalemate line so that you could create all sorts of issues later on. And this is the perfect example of that. Obviously, both in the chaos board. Um, to see that unit's progress or progress is um, um, highly entertaining, to say the least. Um, really interesting from a gameplay point of view. And it gives so many options. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Especially now, well, maybe maybe now Spain seems to be losing a bit of position, but, you know, if, if, um, if Spain was able to get into Kiel then between Sweden and then Kiel, they can kind of take out Denmark and then they've got that whole uh, Spanish road thing going all the way across Europe. Yes. Um, yep, and whoever's taking control of England, who's that? That's Liverpool. Um, yes. So, anyway, like I said, like there's so much there's so much more gameplay to this particular game um, that it, it, it's anyone's... It's quite literally anyone's game at this stage, even though you know you've got a couple of powers still on five supply centres. What's that going to look like in a week or two? Who knows? Mm-hmm. Very, very, very interesting. Okay, so uh, you reckon we wrap it up now? Oh, I think so. Cool, and then uh, we'll go on and do a bit of a Patreon episode. Uh, I'm Ambi. I'm Kana. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Cheers. See you next week. Well, next time we catch up. Next time. Bye. Bye.